you are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I'm going to talk to a lady called June Alexander. June lives in Australia. She wrote a book, well I, I best know her for um, the website, um, The Diary Healer, which includes a blog and she talks in that blog about how, I guess, writing and the therapeutic value of writing in recovery. Um, and so she's also written a memoir and um, something like nine books on eating disorders. Um, and so June is part of the eating disorder recovery community, but she's also part of the professional community and also part of the advocacy community. So while she does live way, way across the pond in Australia, and while this is the first time that we've actually, I think, spoken other than social media, I do feel like I know June. Um, I also know that she likes cats. She's got a cat called Nora. <laughs> anyway, so this is our conversation. Here's June. I'm June Alexander and I live in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, Australia. Um, I am a grandma of five children and a mother of three sons and a daughter and I grew up on a dairy farm uh, in country in the country Victoria um, in a beautiful valley with a river flowing through it and lots of animals and really idyllic place um, next to what we call the bush in Australia but it's called the woods or, or a forest elsewhere in the world so I, I grew up with uh, um, animals like kangaroos and wombats and platypus in the river and goannas and uh, and then a lot of farm animals so I had a really I guess I grew up close to nature which um, is is something that I think's given me a strength throughout my life, which was just as well because when I was 11 years old, I developed anorexia nervosa, and this was at a time when uh, it really wasn't known about very well at all. And so I was in my um, I'm, I'm leapfrogging here a little bit, but I was in my 30s before I was correctly um, diagnosed. And so the illness had had a long time to get embedded in my brain and really I didn't know any other way to think. And I was quite um, suicidal in my late 20s and then it took six years to get the right diagnosis. Um, So then what happened was a long recovery period and... That, which took a very long time, about 25 years. But I, I eventually got there. And um, also um, one thing that had happened when I was 11 years old, besides developing anorexia, which, um, of course, I didn't really understand what was happening, but I also started to write a diary. And... Um, and so my whole illness was um, sort of documented in my mind, through my mind, in the diaries. So when I recovered, by which time I'm in my 50s, early 50s, um, 
I and and so a thought that had sustained me throughout my illness was I was largely misunderstood, especially by my family members. Throughout my my long illness, of course, um, I was misunderstood. And growing up in a country area, um, it was often okay, you know, well, okay, you got more understanding if you had a physical problem like a broken leg. Um, with a mental problem, you um, were told to pull up your socks because you think about yourself too much and and just get, get, get on with things, which I tried to do, but, of course, it meant I kept – I was not only a, a, in my 20s a, a working mother of um, four children, young children. I had them in four years, four children. Um uh, but I was also studying uh, at university level and, you know, helping my husband on, on our farm. And I was doing everything and I still couldn't get this um, torment out of my brain. And um, so the recovery really involved, uh, like, taking the engine out of a car and putting a new one in. I, I had to find a whole new set of gear sticks to to get through every moment in my in in every day, um, I had to find new ways of um, thinking and um, and I mean, of course, food was just part of it. I had to. It was so hard to learn how to eat three meals a day and um, have you know three snacks a day um, because after. I was I had restrictive anorexia, so um, then I, for years, I got caught in a binge cycle. Like uh, I'd either eat a lot and and then restrict again, and eat a lot and restrict again. So my moods moods went up and down like a a roller coaster, uh, and. Um, it was really, as you would appreciate, I guess, anyone who's been here in this cycle, it's very hard to break out of. And um, But gradually I I did, and I used to ever dream and wonder, could I ever, ever, oh, could I ever just be able to let my body tell me what it wanted to eat for the next meal and... Um, that just seemed to be an impossible dream. But I actually got there. It took a long time. Um, and what I, I guess the secret though, or the, the a key thing to do for, was even when I binged the night before, um, when I got up the next morning, it, I needed to eat the normal breakfast. Like for, for years I would um, – if I binge the night before, I'd qualify that in my eating disorder thinking by saying I won't eat. I won't yeah. eat breakfast. But I then won't eat you lunch. restrict and you start the cycle again because yeah. it's the restriction exactly. that leads to the yes. binging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like you're in a, a captive of this illness and it just keeps pulling the strings on you. So, yeah, so, and so by. Eating the three meals a day, no matter what, it, it's it's amazing, really, um, because the urge to binge just fades away, and <laughs> and and you know today I I I keep a 
a selection of little chocolate bars in my fridge door. And um, once upon a time, I would not have been able to do that. I would have eaten them all on the very first night I put them in there. But now I can look at them uh, if I'm feeling like one and think, now, which one do I really want to eat right now? And um, and I really enjoy it. And I just want to eat, you know, that that one little snack bar. I don't need, I don't have the urge I don't have that feast and famine Absolutely. Yeah. thing that, you know, our body, because it's been starved, it thinks it needs to take in. Well, it's itself. not that it thinks to, it does need to. It does need to stuff itself because it's been starved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually, my my binge restrict cycle was just the same, June. I had for a good four years, I had a, I was in a really quite severe binge restrict cycle, a day, daily cycle. And it was only when I, forced fed myself during the day that that started to diminish and it didn't happen overnight it's not like I fed myself one day and the next the same night I didn't binge it's just it's a gradual when your brain starts to learn that it's getting the food that it needs during the day yes and and you know amazing things start to happen then don't they it it's um and it's not just as you it's not just with the food but it's in like for, for for decades, every decision I made, it could have been you know someone's invited me to a party or um, I've got an uh, an important meeting with uh, you know I worked in newspapers for many years um, you know I've got an important meeting at work or I'm um, I'm sent out on an, an important assignment and I'm going to meet you know someone who's very high up in politics or or um, or someone who's um, a, a movie star or, or whatever. And, you know, my immediate thoughts when I ever I would hear of something I need to do would be would be to think about how much I'm eating and, and um, whether I needed to restrict myself. And I would restrict myself as a way of coping with anxiety as well, which was, of course, was very... Um, <laughs> it was the opposite to what I needed to do. I needed to keep it, yeah, eating eating those three meals without fail and, and my snacks. And so, yeah, it's amazing. But I, you know, for 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 people who are listening right now, um, like for even when you've had the illness a long time, and mine had a twenty year. A head start um, before um, any treatment of any sort started. Um, and today, um, well, I've been, I'd say, free, uh, able to eat my three meals a day and live and think um, like, a ma- you know, life in the mainstream. Um, it, you know, 12 years have gone by and in that time I've written – 10 books um, and done a PhD, things I couldn't have done. Oh, absolutely. And what age, when how old young. were you when you started proper recovery? How old were you when you started? Um, I was about 32 years old. Yeah, and um, I was 28 years old when I was um, very suicidal and that was when I first summoned the courage to go and talk to um, 
a GP, a family doctor, for the very first time, um, I was terrified. I was terrified because I feared I would be told I was going mad and I'd be taken, my children would be taken from me. They were um, I, they were all aged at that time, two, two to six years old. And, um, but uh, I, and you know, you've had this, secret in your head for all these years and 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 when you I think when you know I guess at any time but when you're still a child when you develop this illness um, you don't know any other way and you know my mother would say things like why can't you be like the other girls you know why can't why can't you be like Mary or you know girl you know friends in my school Um, and I I that made me feel worse because I didn't know how to be like them. I, I didn't know that my brain was different to their brain. And <laughs> so I, I, I guess I just felt different, but I didn't know why. And at school, I would look at kids, um, you know, they would be able to order at the school canteen and, and they would be eating hot pies and, and ice creams and things. And I'd think, how can you eat those things without feeling really guilty? And I'd be eating, you know, carrot sticks and things. And I I think um, it's, yeah, it, but even, I guess, um, I was very fortunate that I loved writing like the writing and the eating disorder tended to start at about the same time but of course I guess when I did my PhD just you know I only graduated with that uh, at the end of uh, 2017 Um, and it was only when I was researching and reflecting more deeply that I realized that my diary had actually um, been my not so much a friend but a foe for many years because the narrative um the you know with with an eating disorder you you tend to have your life um with regulations and rules and and we're always making new ones because we we can't keep any of them and um so I'd actually been using my diary for many years to try and create a structure for getting through each day, but it would be on, I can have so many calories, I've got to do so much exercise, I've, I, I've got to, I'm not allowed to eat, I can only eat these foods and not those foods, and and so I had all these uh, rules going through my diaries, and it made me quite sad, and but it actually helped with the grieving process when I read through all my diaries, and I could see, like for a couple of decades, there was no real me there at all. It was all illness, and it was like I was lost in a forest and couldn't find my way out. And um, but eventually, of course, gradually, I I did with the help of my long-term psychiatrist, who I did meet in my early thirties, and. Um, I really had to retrain my brain and I really had and letting go of of the eating disorder thoughts. And I guess like people like Jenny Schaefer, um, goodness me, she's like was half my age, but she was very, very helpful. Her book um, um, 
goodbye ad. I think it was 2004 when it came out. I read that book and I was just like almost there with my own uh, recovery. And I think, you know, it's like you're a butterfly coming out of a cocoon when you've been in an eating disorder a long time. And so I started to read the lit, any books that were uh, there, like um, this was just like before the internet was really getting uh, helpful, like with your wonderful blogs and um, and then there's um, back then, uh, 2007, I started to share my story publicly uh, for the first time. I can remember I was terrified. I was invited to speak at us a night for uh, at a school for parents and grandparents and um and then I started to talk um I wanted to write my story so that at least my children would understand I wasn't really such a bad person and um uh and when I wrote that and actually it was published and then that led to a lot of other wonderful things happening um I met Daniel Lagrange and um I wrote with him the My Kid Is Back, which is about family-based treatment because um, I had wished that my parents had known about that when I was a kid. Um, you know, I my poor mother, she had no idea what was happening. And um, a lot of, yeah, um, meeting others, um with the illness, like I'd grown up in a rural area and then I had moved to the city to get help in my 30s, but still I wasn't really talking to anybody else who had the same illness as me. And now that, I, you know, I do a lot of work internationally and nationally and um, as you do, and, you know, one big discovery you make is that this language, the eating disorder has a language that's universal and um, wherever you live, the um, the thoughts of the actual illness are the same. It's 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 scary and amazing at the same time, and so it what it does is it makes it easier to identify the thoughts that belong with the illness, and then recovery involved. Um, being able to recognize the thoughts that belong with the illness and recognizing my own true thoughts and and that took a lot of practice um but that's where the diary also came in helpful writing became very helpful because um i was able to put, put writing things down as well as thinking them may helps make the thought stronger and, you know, you do many repetitions to because maybe you are having a, um, a an unexpected um, little crisis, which is probably not really a crisis, but your the eating disorder brain will try and tell you it is. Um, and being able to be self-aware enough to recognize that before it hits the default button and runs away with an eating disorder behavior, but to recognize it and implement a, a, a healthy, um, you know, a healthy June <laughs> behavior um, is, which is, you know, of self-compassion and self-love um, rather than doing something like 
stuffing yourself or starving yourself or um, denying yourself in some way that's self-harming. And, um, yeah, it, it's it's really about taking the hand of that little child that you were before the illness developed and leading them and caring for them. I, I mean, you miss out on a lot of life, a lot of living while you're caught up in an eating disorder. And, yeah, I, uh, and I have, um, uh, you know, with my grandchildren, uh, they're now age 6 to 11, um, but when they were 2, you know, 2 and 3, I, I, I would love to go to the playground with them and, you know, crawl through the tunnels and swing on the swings and and do a, just do a lot of fun things because um, with the eating disorder, um, often with my own children when they were young, um, I didn't, um, I deny, I, I denied myself um, do, doing fun things with them, and they, they suffered too. And uh, actually, it was only just my daughter is 42 years old now, and um, we were with a family friend just the other day, and she was asked, "Did your mum's illness um, affect? Have does it still affect you today?" And she said. Yes, she said, um, she said all I ever really wanted was a mum. So she wanted a mum <laughs> without the eating disorder. But, of course, it was very hard to um, distinguish the two. And it, 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 so I think when healing takes place um, for you know, sadly, my parents and my sister, my, that is my family of origin, I became alienated from them. Uh, I think too many years had gone by and they'd lost sight of the real me. And, um, yeah, I, it was something that I could not get back. Uh, so what I had to do was focus on what I did have, which were um, my children. Sadly, my marriage had also been lost. I This was just like when I was starting to get help and my eating disorder brain convinced me <laughs> that my husband, who was actually a very stable, secure, safe person, um, was the reason why I wasn't recovering um and the illness yeah but we are very fortunate in that we've stayed um friends and we still yeah we still share christmas and all the kids birthdays and of course there's more of them now that there's grandchildren so the while the illness took the marriage it didn't take the friendship and as parents we've been able to stay united and as one and um the grandchildren are at an age now where they are thinking, well, yeah, well, I've got grandma and grandpa. And, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so you think places. that your, your children and, and the family that you do have in, in you getting better, there has been a healing effect there for everybody. Yes, yes, yes. And when I wrote my memoir, um, you know, you, you had to mention my family um, 
and one of my sons read read the manuscript um, on behalf of the of the of his siblings um, because it was their journey as well as mine, and um, some healing came out of sharing the story. It's why right. sure. um, I found the I same. Like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it comes from unexpected places. Um, my my daughter was not ready to read the book, but what happened was some of her her friends did. Like she was um, in her twenties, I think. When I yeah, and um, so and they made um, they shared with her, and they helped her. I think. Um, See, see the situation in a new light, and to because in many ways we had to restory things so that we could all move on and heal together, and that's the power of the narrative, isn't it? And June, I so think. what age were you when when you think you reached full recovery? I was um, fifty five. It was a long time, 44 um, years from from age 11. Um, and it's it was like it was actually a very um, defining moment. I, I can remember I was sitting uh, on the veranda and I had my dog and cat at my feet and there was I was looking up at the stars. It was a summer's night and in where I live in Australia, you can see stars called, we call it the Milky Way. I was looking up at the Milky Way and suddenly I had this sort of ping in my brain. I knew I had crossed the line. I knew I had got over the finishing line. <laughs> I, um, and just, and I never, I would have slips and slides, you know, uh, still, but I never went back into its clutches. And gradually those slips and slides became less and less. And, you know, I'd have the occasional binge and go through that self-loathing and, but then the the period of feeling terrible would get less and less until yeah until I you know I it's just wonderful I gradually you know people might say does it happen overnight no it does not happen overnight but it it does happen and I just love it today I love listening to my body tell me you know do I want a piece of salmon or a piece of steak or or you know what or avocado and chicken or or whatever you know for my meals I actually look forward to every meal and um and I love going out to dinner I love going to restaurants I love I love meeting friends for lunch I, you know, it's a social. I think the social life is so impactful. Oh by yeah, it's wonderful, disorder. isn't it? <laughs> to, yes, yeah. I know. I and, know. And, yeah. Yeah. So. So um, I, I think the main the message really is that because I I do speak to a lot of people, adults who have eating disorders around the forties, fifties, sixties, um, age range. 
that say it's you know it's it's too late it's I, oh, I couldn't no. I couldn't recover it's always like no mm. I know plenty no. of people who have fully recovered in their 60s yes oh yes I uh, you know I I I know there are women oh, and men like who are in their 50s 60s 70s there are people in nursing homes who were suffering with an Ill, with an eating disorder, you know, and living in shame and secrecy. And I just want them to know it's never too late. There's always hope. And even if if you are 70 years old and you're able to eat three meals a day and have your two or three snacks a day and have peace in your heart and peace in your mind, peace in your soul that is a gift that that is beautiful it it's it's we don't think about that lost time yes we need to grieve for that because some things when we recover and heal I like to call it ongoing healing when we are you know there are things that we cannot get back but there is a lot that we can and we can start to enjoy things that we never have been able to enjoy. So if, um, but yes, it's never too late. It's never too late. And the thing is to reach out. And like, I think it's just wonderful now the work you're doing um, in coaching people because, oh gosh, if I'd had a coach in my 30s, it would have been so helpful. Um I you know I grew up in a time when there were help was not available. Yeah, you're just doing it blind. <laughs> it's doing it yeah. blind, and um, and how difficult is that when the um, yeah the eating disorder is is bossing you around? So you to have a coach and to be able to reach out in those vulnerable moments because we know how important it is to reach out as soon as as you become aware that that you know, the panic setting in, I need to do something quickly. To be able to call someone right then or email or do, you know, as we can now with the internet is such a help um, because talking to someone who understands or or talking, I say, when I say talking, I mean verbally or, or in, in writing because even when we're writing, what it does is, it slows that panic down. It slows the thoughts down. You are so right. You- yeah, I, because I say to my clients, you, you know, email me, and usually, I'll know in the in the process of emailing me. By the time they've got to the end, they've answered their own question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they, and it's I, you know, I I see um, life in images, and when you you. You just described that right then, you know, my, my images of a, a horse um, escaping from, you know, a stable or a, a field and, and it's running, running, running and, uh, and, and gradually it slows down to a canter and a, a trot and a walk because by writing, writing, you know, thoughts, it doesn't really matter how they're written, but just get them down really, really quickly and just write and write and write until you've got nothing left to write. Um, and it, it releases the um, the moment. And uh, and I think that's 
that's so powerful. And and to be able to write without, you know, you're writing to someone you trust is really, really helpful because you you're not afraid of being judged and um to write without fear is is you know fear and tr- and trust um in having a guide or a coach is such a such a powerful thing to have and because yeah because they trusting at the end of you know recovery involves trusting you're out in the rough seas of this illness and you need to get to, to, to land where you can put your feet down and know that you're not going to sink in quicksand or something. So having that coach or having having uh, someone who understands they're on the shore for you, um, you have to be able to trust them more than that 24-7 illness thought in your mind. So it's a really strong lifeline to have someone you can trust. I think the other thing that writing does is that um, it, it takes whatever you're scared of and when you externalize it by writing it down, it just makes it seem so much smaller. Um, yes, 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 it gets it out. Because when it's in your head, it seems huge. It's the biggest problem that you've ever had to deal with. And then when you write it down, it's like, oh, I'm freaking out over a piece of toast. <laughs> well, that's right because the eating disorder thoughts are not logical or rational, and um, you know, and it they love us to think the very, very, very worst, and often um, a, you know a comment may be made, and nobody else will think anything of it, but the eating disorder brain will take that and tell you you're. You know you're ugly, or 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 you've done the. You know your work's not up to par. You're, you and and so, but writing that down in our journal or writing it to to someone we trust, and we're able to see it for what it really is, with and it, it disentangles the eating disorder thought from the reality. And it helps us see, oh, there's another way of looking at this. And and really, that's not what they're saying. They're not saying I'm stupid. And and it, it really helps writing it down and seeing it for what it is without disentangling. It's like having a, you know, a ball of wool that the kitten has got and turned it into knots and and you get it out and it's all it's you know I think it's a perception thing isn't it it's a it's a it's a change in perception because your perception creates your reality and when you're just in your own head your brain can convince you that your perception is reality but when you get a change in that perception you write it down then you can take an alternative view and you can understand it differently that's right and part of the recovery is about learning new ways of thinking and uh, and so you know we can ask ourselves is there another way of looking at this yes there is and you know it it's I guess being able to stand outside ourselves a little bit and be observers and and write down 
the things that we uh, that we actually know the, the the facts right down the facts and that helps those eating disorder thoughts which are, are, are never factual um yeah it's like <laughs> oh, if you use a term that's very popular now the fake news we don't want the fake news of the eating disorder <laughs> yeah don't listen to that it's, it's very no it's very destructive we want the real we want the real the real news uh, and that is of our real self and um it's a wonderful warm feeling to know that um we're having our own thoughts and to be able to share them I think is just so powerful and strengthening yes you know yeah yeah well I think you are an absolute inspiration June and where can people if people want to connect or just find out more about you or your books where can they do that well they can go to um, my website which is www thediaryhealer.com um that's www.thediaryhealer or one word.com and i will link and to i will link to that in the show notes that people can find please it do and i look forward to um and i love i love people to i have a, a weekly blog i love to have people share their stories on the blog um and i love connecting with other people um i find it Oh, I, I, it's really, really important for anyone out there who is feeling um, isolated uh, and thinking, well, I've tried, tried, and I have not got there. Please reach out and try, try again. And um, there are wonderful, wonderful people who understand what it's like and are here to help you. So please reach out. Yeah. What an inspirational lady. And I hope that there are people listening that are 40 plus and have been sitting there thinking before, recovery is a young person's game. It's not for me anymore. Can't do it because I haven't done it. Mm -mm. It's not true. The reason that you can't do it is because you haven't done it. That doesn't mean that it's not possible to do. And if you do the, like we were talking about, that eating the day after the binge, if you do the hard work, the hard mental work, which requires usually taking action, and that action comes in the form of not restricting, then you will get there. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Your brain will rewire itself. The brain is neuroplastic. It does have the capacity and the ability to change if you're consistent with your actions. And so I hope June's story brings you a bit of hope and also knowledge that, yes, you can do this. And I also, I'm a very keen writer. <laughs> and um, so although I, I didn't, I've never journaled, not, not consistently. I journaled a couple of times, I think, when I was 12 or 14, and all I wrote about was ponies. Um, and then... I think I'd lost those anyway, so I don't even really know. But I'm pretty sure it was about ponies at that age. So I, I'm not actually, although I'm a writer, I'm not actually somebody who has ever consistently written a journal or a diary. But in June's experience, 
that was actually a very productive exercise for her. So maybe that's something to try and you could probably check out her website to get more tips and ideas on that and read some of those books. I'll link to those in the, in the um, show notes. Thank you for listening. Contact me if you have a recovery story to share. I love inspiring people like June. When inspiring people like June Alexander come out and tell the stories, it does just that. It inspires others to do great things. So if you have a story to tell, yeah, get in touch. Info at tabathafra.com. Cheers, and until next time, cheerio.